There's no cleansing agent known to man that could ever remove the stains of sin from the human conscience. Nothing that we could ever do could ever achieve internal cleansing. That part of us is simply inaccessible. But God himself has provided the miracle cure to reach the deepest in our inmost part. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And Jonathan, we may have some listening today who would say, I know that feeling of not being able to feel clean. You know, there are things in my past, things I've done, I'm carrying baggage that I just can't seem to let go of. I'm walking around with guilt and with shame. And I hear you saying, well, you can't get rid of that. You're not going to be able to drop that on your own. But God, God has made a way for you to be able to be cleansed of all of that. How does that happen? How does that work? Well, if you're someone listening and that's your experience just now, you're carrying around a burden of guilt, you're feeling defiled by sin, there's something in particular perhaps on your conscience, and the question on your mind is, you know, how do I deal with this, and how can this burden be lifted, uh, and how can this guilt be removed? Well, we're so glad that you're listening today because that's the, that's the question we're grappling with, and the Bible has good news for you book of Hebrews that we're going to be looking at together has good news because it tells us that there is one way for sin to be cleansed, for sin to be removed, for our consciences to be made clear and clean, and it is through the blood of Jesus and his blood alone. And we'd love to be able to share that good news with you. Well, we're going to look at this truth from the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 9 today, verses 11 to 28. Join us there as we continue our message, Sin Cleansed. Here is Jonathan. The purity laws of the Old Testament functioned a little bit like the metal detectors at the airport. See if you can follow me with this one. You know how it is when you go through one of those things. They tell you to put everything that's in your pockets into the little plastic bin, and then you can walk through. Just make sure you're not carrying any metal when you go. And you think to yourself, I'm not carrying any metal. I don't carry metal. That's not something I do. I'm clean. I'm fine. And you walk through, and sure enough, the thing flashes bright red. And you're sent back to check your pockets and you've got 300 people in the line behind you all waiting for a flight, all watching now what you're doing. You go back and you check your pockets and sure enough, there's a quarter in there. So you throw that over into the train, you walk through again, and sure enough, the light goes red. And uh, this time it's your, it's your belt buckle. And by now, all the other lines are watching too. And you're getting a little bit embarrassed. And you go through again and sure enough, the light goes off. You end up having a full body scan and a pat down, and it's all pretty embarrassing. Maybe that's just me. But it tells you something. You're carrying more than you thought you were. The purity laws of the Old Testament were designed to highlight to the people that they were more impure than they ever imagined, more unfit for the presence of God than they could have ever thought. The symbolism of the Old Testament system highlighted a true problem. It highlighted the defilement of heart of a sinful people. But in and of itself, the purity system, the ceremonial system, it only dealt with externals, defiled hands and so on. It only dealt with externals. And so the cleansing system it offered, the means of cleansing it provided, only dealt with externals as well. And because these sacrifices were only symbolic in value, the very idea that they could provide actual cleansing from sin, well, it was a dangerous fiction. 
You may remember that there was a great furor a few years ago in South Africa, when at the very height of the AIDS crisis, a leading politician suggested that HIV infection could be combated by taking a good shower after exposure to the virus. It's a ridiculous notion, of course, and incredibly dangerous to popularize. And the writer to the Hebrews is very concerned here that the Hebrews might abandon the true means of cleansing, the true means of internal cleansing, the blood of Christ, and return instead to a merely symbolic system. Now, that's the writer's concern. But what is it about the sacrifice of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, that makes that sacrifice effective in a way that the animal sacrifices at the temple never were? Well, the heart of the difference, of course, lies in the value of the sacrifice given. Notice the comparative argument that the writer sets out for us in verses 13 and 14. If these animal sacrifices, verse 13, make the worshipers outwardly clean, if mere animal sacrifices can do that much, verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit of God, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. The sacrifice of bulls and goats was simply not of sufficient value to address the problem of human sin. It would take a greater sacrifice than that. It would take the sacrifice of a human life to deal with human sin. It is a remarkable thing when one human being gives their life as a sacrifice for another. Today marks a hundred years to the day since the Battle of Vimy Ridge, where over 3,000 Canadian soldiers gave their lives for us and for our freedom. And it's a great occasion to thank God for them and to remember their great sacrifice on our behalf. It is a remarkable and a precious thing when one human being gives their life for another. But the life given at Calvary was no ordinary human life. Notice the character and the value of the sacrifice that was given for us. It is, verse 14, the blood of Christ himself. And who is this Christ? He is God's appointed king, his promised Messiah, the one who is both true man and true God. It was a requirement that the sacrifices given at the temple should be entirely unblemished. And here we read that Christ offered himself unblemished to God. His life on earth was unmarked by any sin or any rebellion of any kind. Jesus lived the perfect, unstained human life. No sin, no compromise, no rebellion. And we understand that Jesus achieved this extraordinary feat through the power of the Holy Spirit who fell on him at his baptism. That's why the writer says in verse 14 that he offered himself unblemished to God through the eternal spirit. This was the offering of a perfect human life, an entirely appropriate sacrifice for human sin. But more than that, this perfect human being is also the divine Son of God, whose life is of infinite worth, sufficient in value, not simply to pay for the sin of one other human being, but sufficient in value to pay the price of the sin of all his people of all time. 
and the sufficiency and the sheer worth of that sacrifice means that it can bring cleansing that's not merely external, not cleansing of the hands, but cleansing that is true and real and internal. One of our neighbors has been battling very serious cancer for a number of months. At one point, it sounded as though the disease was more or less untreatable. The cancer had spread, I think, from her lungs to her spine and to her brain. Surgery wasn't going to be possible, and I think they'd ruled out even chemotherapy. I hadn't seen her for quite a long time, and we were beginning to fear that her situation had grown worse and deteriorated further. But last week, I had really quite a shock when I saw her out on her driveway one morning, I think picking up the newspaper or something. And she was looking strong and really quite well. I was delighted to see her, and I walked over for a chat and just to hear what the update was on her situation. She shared the news that her doctors had put her on an amazing drug that was really keeping the cancer at bay. And her most recent scan had shown that the cancer had diminished or even retreated from areas where just a few weeks previously it had been evident. No scalpel could reach the cancer in her spine or her brain. But this extraordinary drug, it had reached it. And I said to her, it sounded like a real miracle. It was wonderful. There's no cleansing agent known to man that could ever remove the stains of sin from the human conscience. It is inaccessible. No ritual, no ceremonial act, nothing that we could ever do could ever achieve internal cleansing. That part of us is simply inaccessible. But God himself has provided the miracle cure to reach the deepest disease in our inmost part. As Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, he offered himself to God the Father as an unblemished sacrifice of immeasurable worth. And in doing so, he achieved true cleansing, cleansing even of the conscience. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Sin Cleansed, part of our series, The Heart of Easter. We're going to pause right here, but we'll get back to this message in just a moment. Well, if you have been benefiting from listening to Encounter the Truth and Jonathan's teaching, we'd be so encouraged to hear about that. Let us know how God is using this program in your life. You can give us your feedback through coming to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Click on the contact link and uh, let us know how God is using this program, and how we can pray for you. Again, to reach us, come to the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. I wonder if you know what it is to feel defiled, to feel unclean because of things you've done or thought or said. I wonder if even today as we gather here, you somehow feel stained by guilt, somehow defiled. The Bible is very clear in its teaching that sin does have a defiling effect. God is totally pure in his holiness, and our sin, it is filthy in his sight, and it renders us entirely unfit for his presence. And our conscience is actually a God-given gift to highlight our guilt to make us regret words and actions and thoughts that are defiling, and to make us long for his cleansing. Many in the world around us will tell us that feelings of guilt and defilement are, are just hindrances that we need to 
get over and move beyond. Peter Bregan, a prominent and widely published psychiatrist, writes this about guilt. Guilt, shame, and anxiety, he says, are nature's answer to anger management. Unfortunately, these emotional reactions are very crude, relatively ineffective, and too often backfire. It can help enormously to realize that our feelings of guilt, shame, and anxiety have nothing whatsoever to do with reality or anything wrong, shameful, or stupid we have done. They are literally negative legacies from biological evolution and childhood. That's one perspective on guilt from the world out there. An accident of evolution, a primitive reflex, an encumbrance to set aside. But far from telling us just to get over it, the letter to the Hebrews actually affirms us in our concern to have a clean conscience. The actions that trouble our conscience are acts, verse 19, that lead to death. These are actions that invite the judgment of God. And the defilement and the guilt weighing our conscience, those things need to be addressed objectively if we are to be safe before God the judge. Our conscience is a God-given warning sign that there is a problem that needs to be addressed. And I guess for some here this morning, your conscience is speaking to you loudly and clearly. It's telling you that your sin has made you unclean. Maybe you've come away from a business transaction this week where you, you actually you haven't done right by others, where things have been a little bit murky, perhaps a little underhand. Maybe you came out on top in the deal, I don't know, but rather than feeling victorious today, you feel compromised and you feel dirty inside. Maybe you've engaged this week in a little bit of office gossip and someone's name has just been dragged through the mud. You enjoyed the conversation well enough at the time, but as you reflect on it now, you feel frankly defiled by having participated. Perhaps you've been engaging in a pattern of sexual behavior that you know is wrong, that you know is not God-honoring, and you feel defiled, and you feel unclean. The world outside will tell you just to get a grip on yourself, to get over it, and to enjoy life again. If you've hurt someone, maybe try and make amends and try and be a little bit nicer next time. But essentially, you need to just go easier on yourself. I found this five-step guide to dealing with guilt on the web this week. Here's what Dr. Google prescribes. Step one. Recognize the kind of guilt you have and its purpose. Step two, forgive yourself. Step three, make amends and changes as soon as possible. Step four, start a journal. Step five, accept you did something wrong, but just move on. Advice may seem very practical, but it doesn't actually address the problem of guilt in any real or any objective way. It won't cleanse a guilty conscience and it won't bring true peace to the sinner. But here's the wonderful reality that the writer of Hebrews drives home for us. The blood of Jesus is able, more than able, to bring true cleansing to the most defiled conscience. His blood pays the price of our guilt before the Father. And because His blood actually deals with the problem of our sin and secures our forgiveness, 
it is able to make us truly clean. Some here this morning will have never experienced that cleansing. You may actually be here with us today because you are burdened with a heavy conscience. You know just what I mean when I talk about feeling defiled within, and you are just longing today to be made clean. You're longing to clear your conscience and to be free of that burden of guilt maybe that you have been carrying for a very long time. Well, if that's you, hear the invitation of Jesus. Hear the invitation to know and experience true cleansing within, true cleansing even of the conscience. His blood is sufficient to make you clean. And the question this morning is whether you will come to him in repentance and faith and accept that cleansing. And the promise of his word this morning is that if you do so, he really will make you clean. Others of us have come to Christ for that cleansing perhaps a long time ago, and we already belong to him. But perhaps this morning you're struggling to know and to believe that you really are clean in the sight of God. Perhaps a new failure, perhaps a new battle with sin, a particular rebellion or a particular compromise in your life has just left you feeling defiled in a fresh way. And you wonder, does the cleansing that I knew so long ago, does that cleansing still apply to me now? You wonder if somehow your sin has undone the cleansing of Jesus in your life. And you wonder if anything more can be done for you now. For those struggling in that way, and many will go through seasons of feeling just like that, notice again from our passage the finality of what Jesus has achieved at Calvary. Yes, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they were repeated year after year after year. The pothole opened up again and again. The problem was patched but never fixed. But Jesus' work, it was done once. And because it was so effective, it never needs to be done again. Verse 12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The work is finished, the price is paid, the cleansing is complete. And if you belong to Jesus, however you feel, however well or poorly you are doing in the battle with sin, however good or bad your obedience just now, however pure or impure you may feel you are today, here is the reality. You have been cleansed, objectively cleansed, fully cleansed, finally cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think that is an amen moment. You may know that 2017 marks the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And one of the great rediscoveries of the Reformation was the biblical doctrine of the sufficiency and the finality of the work of Jesus at Calvary. The biblical teaching that Jesus' sacrifice dealt with sin once for all. There was no need to re-offer the sacrifice of Christ through the Roman Mass. Indeed, the sacrifice of Jesus could never be re-offered by any priest at any Mass. 
And no believer should ever be led to think that they needed to do anything, participate in any rite or ritual to secure the remission of sin. It was a wonderful rediscovery 500 years ago, and we mustn't lose its wonder today. At the cross, Jesus did all that was needed, everything that was required. His work cannot be redone, and if we belong to him, we are clean in the sight of God. Just as we finish, notice with me the purpose of this cleansing. Notice why Jesus has shed his blood to make us clean. He's done it, verse 14, so that we may serve the living God. Most of us at some point will have been inside an operating room or a clean room in a manufacturing or a research facility. And in both those types of environment, there is a series of procedures that everyone has to go through in order to be admitted. You have to make sure you're free of all contaminants before you can be allowed in to this clean space. The same is true when it comes to serving in the presence of God. There is a requirement for cleanliness, for purity, before anyone is allowed in to get on with the job. The word service here at the end of verse 14 is a word often associated with priestly ministry in the temple sanctuary. It could actually be translated worship. It's the same word. It's it's priestly temple language. And the point is that once we've been made clean by the blood of Jesus as his people, we're now fit for the very presence of God. We're all qualified to enter, to get on with the work, to be his ministers, his priests, as Scripture teaches us, we all are. We're fit to enter and to serve in his presence and then to minister his grace to a needy world. And I think that's a great encouragement for each one of us here this morning as we conclude. It's a great encouragement because some of us, perhaps many of us here today, will feel instinctively that we are not worthy to serve God. We're not worthy because of our sin. We're too contaminated. Others can go into the clean room and get on with the job. That's fine for them. But we would bring in too much defilement, too much mess, and it's not for us. Many of us will feel that way, no doubt. But the point that the writer wants us to see is that Jesus really has made us clean. His sacrifice really is effective, really is sufficient. And if we don't think we're clean then what we're saying actually is this. We're saying that we don't believe that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to make us clean in the sight of God. So if you're one of those people who has felt unworthy to serve, who feels today too contaminated to serve, here is the encouragement for you. Jesus really has made you objectively and permanently clean. And he has done so for the very purpose that you should be able to serve him, that you should take part in the priestly ministry in which we all share as the people of God. Jesus is able to bring true cleansing because he ministers in the true sanctuary and he has offered once for all the true sacrifice. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, wrapping up our message, Sin Cleansed. It's part of our series, The Heart of Eastern. 
We've been taking a look at Hebrews chapter 9. If you missed any part of today's broadcast or the previous program, which was the first half of this message, you can come and listen at our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. You can also listen through the app, which you'll find at your favorite app store. Just simply look for Encounter the Truth. But whether you listen to the program online, using the app, or through the radio, we're glad that you've tuned in, and it's your giving that makes it possible. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you two copies of Jonathan's book, The King, the Cross, and the Meaning of Easter. One copy for you, one to give away to a friend or a family member who could benefit from reading a book that gives a clear presentation of the gospel. Again, you can uh, get a copy, well, two copies, of The King, the Cross, and the Meaning of Easter as you give a gift of any amount. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, that's EncounterTheTruth.org or 833-998-7884. Well, for our producer, Mark Brutta, and our Bible teacher, Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll tune in next time.